0: of or April of this year, Hong Kong-China equities have produced a negative return 10 out of 12 months. And, you know, five minutes ago, you're you're, you're highlighting the fact that um, Hong Kong and China equities have actually done significantly better than the average NPF return over the first six months. So, you know, uh, as you say, timing markets is extremely difficult to do. And, you know, for all of the criticism that the NPF system gets... The introduction of the default investment strategy where um, you know, there's a ready-made, diversified um, investment portfolio where members don't have to make a choice, uh, that benefits members.
1: And what do you recommend people should do um, in order to, you know, in this type of environment?
0: Yeah, look, I think we've our, our message has been very consistent, which is firstly, um, returns are not a function of NPF. Um, the NPF system takes returns that the market gives. Time in market, not market timing, diversification, and um, to the extent that one has uh, or is committed to saving for retirement, in falling markets, quality assets become cheaper and provides a wonderful opportunity to top up rather than trade.
1: Francis, always good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you very much. That's Francis Chung, Executive Chairman of NPF Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX200 right now, that's down, uh, sorry, up about half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, also up about half a percent. Over in South Korea, the Cosby moving further ahead, up 1.4 percent does look like we're going to see another fall though for the Hang Seng this morning of about 130 points or so at the open. Do please join me again tomorrow morning. I have all the latest business and finance news for you on Money Talk at eight o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chats with James, uh, Janice Wong and James Ockendon and the weather forecast. Mainly cloudy, occasional showers, isolated thunderstorms. The temperature's going to be around 31 degrees. Weather is going to be improved gradually in the next couple of days and it will be hot. Uh, Temperature right now, 28 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andrew
2: Shrowski with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. We begin locally. Health officials say they're worried the COVID situation here is getting worse. The hospital authority says the number of patients admitted with coronavirus has doubled since early last month, while more people are in serious or critical condition. A chief manager at the authority, Dr. Gladys Kwan, warned of pressure on the healthcare system. She said services might have to be adjusted if the situation keeps on deteriorating.
3: We'll have an overall observation of the surface provision as well as the overall condition of the patients. So uh, now we are in uh, our central command committee for operation to discuss every day. So probably we are very cautious about the surface adjustment.
2: The Center for Health Protection reported 2,815 cases yesterday, of which 143 were imported, and one more patient with COVID has died. Overseas now, British media say the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has refused to resign despite calls from senior ministerial colleagues and the resignation of dozens of junior ministers. Earlier during intense questioning by a parliamentary committee, Mr. Johnson insisted he would continue.
1: I think that it's a good thing uh, if governments which have a substantial uh, mandate uh, from the electorate uh, and are doing an enormous amount of stuff, and uh, when that country is facing
4: uh, a lot of pressure, particularly economic uh, pressure, uh, when when there are serious
1: international issues uh, at stake, I think on the whole it is sensible uh, not to get bogged down in discussion about electoral politics.
2: Prosecutors in the U.S. say the man charged with killing seven people at an Independence Day parade in Chicago has confessed to the mass shooting. Robert Cremo, who is 21, has appeared in court for the first time since the attack on July the 4th. The BBC's Barbara, Barbara Platt Usher reports.
5: Police said Mr. Cremo had escaped the scene dressed as a woman and fled to the neighboring state, Wisconsin. That he'd considered firing on another Fourth of July parade there, but that he'd decided he hadn't done enough planning so he returned to the Chicago area where he was arrested. The judge has denied bail. Officials have said Mr. Cremo legally purchased five guns. Questions are mounting about how he was able to do so despite two
2: troubling encounters with police. Environmental campaigners are suing Dutch airline KLM, alleging that the company's sustainability initiatives are misleading. The BBC's Merlin Thomas has more.
3: For the first time ever, environmentalist groups are suing an airline for greenwashing. In other words, making something look more environmentally friendly than it actually is. The lawsuit filed in the Netherlands argues that KLM's adverts and products violate European consumer law with misleading claims of sustainability, creating the false impression that its flights won't make the climate crisis worse. But KLM says the company's statements are based on solid arguments and that it believes its adverts comply with the applicable legislation and regulations.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
3: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is James Ockenden. Good morning, James.
6: Good morning, Janice.
3: On today's Backchat, we're talking about the government's plan to expand a ban on the feeding of wild animals to cover all of Hong Kong and introduce tougher penalties for offenders. Officials say the feeding of wild boars has contributed to the animals becoming a nuisance in urban areas. And the current maximum penalty of $10,000 for offenders should be increased tenfold to $100,000 as a deterrent. Those who breach the law will also face jail terms of up to one year. Currently, the feeding ban only covers specific areas such as country parks, but the Wild Animals Protection Ordinance will be amended to expand that to all areas within Hong Kong. So what do you think? Will increasing the penalty for feeding wild animals and expanding its coverage work? What else can be done to minimize unwanted interactions between people and wild animals? After 9.15, we will look ahead to the new dinosaur exhibition at the Science Museum that will kick off this Friday. And uh, if you want to... Uh, share your thoughts or um, ask a question, you can uh, just uh, contact us. Our email is backchat at backchatatrthk.hk, or you can call us, of course, and our number is 23388266. That's 23388266. Uh, now, to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined by Dr. Hannah Mumby from the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences. And uh, we also have Dr. Howard Wong, the Director of the School of Veterinary Medicine at City University. Good morning to the both of you Good and uh, thank you for joining us on the program now um, when we talk about banning the feeding of wild animals in Hong Kong I guess we're mainly talking about wild boars monkeys and uh, pigeons um, dr. Wong do you think this kind of interaction between people and wild animals has uh, increased over the past few years
4: uh, it, well if you if you use government figures in terms of the number of complaints um, and incidents then I guess you could conclude that yes it has increased um, You know, a lot of news reports are anecdotal, um, but I guess for most people who are living in the so-called black spots, uh, areas where, where these animals are causing a bit of a nuisance, I think there's probably general agreement that the interaction between the wildlife and humans has increased over the years, yeah.
3: I'm not too sure about the um, wild boar situation, but uh, I must say uh, I have recently uh, noticed more people feeding wild monkeys at an outdoor car park near the uh, Kowloon Reservoir. Um, several years ago, I used to uh, occasionally see one or two people feeding them there, but uh, recently I saw more than a dozen people feeding wild animals at the car park, and uh, there were families with uh, young kids. Um, and Dr. Wong, do you think it's uh, this kind of behavior that has contributed to uh, the animals becoming a nuisance in urban areas?
4: Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's a, I believe it's a well accepted notion that um, animals obviously will congregate where there is a, f- a food supply and the public feeding wild animals, you know, brings those animals in close contact. It encourages them to come out of their normal habitat. And unfortunately, it, it will, you know, it will lead to more and more animals coming into sort of urban or peri-urban areas. And it will lead to incidents such as injuries and, and, and you know wild boar running through MTRs and things like that. Um, it's definitely not something I would encourage. Um, and I think anything we can do to discourage the public feeding wild animals is, is to be applauded.
3: Dr. Mumbi, uh what's your view on this? Um, should we try to avoid this kind of interaction between wild animals and humans? Oh,
5: good, good morning, Janice. Thank good you morning. So for having me. Um So I agree with everything that Dr. Wong said so far. Um, And actually, just to give you some of our results about um, what we found from the public at themselves, nine out of 10 people that we speak to in our surveys are against eating. And 70% of the people that we talk to think that the current legislation or regulation should be strengthened. So we are seeing a lot of public support for this as well. It's not just kind of as experts advising about it
6: there's huge public support as well i'm I'm actually surprised at that because as janice says uh going down to the reservoirs you see people well there's some sort of institutional feeding going on i think there's restaurants coming down with um chicken bones to give to the wild dogs and then there's people handing out bananas which people then give to monkeys and, and film it seems like a very popular pursuit And then also in the city, you'll see, uh, you know, people feeding cats and leaving um, stuff out for cats. There's a sort of heart of Hong Kong there that people want to help these animals somehow. How does that gel with what you just said?
5: Yeah, I agree with you. It's a very visible minority that are engaging mm. in these behaviors, right? So, so we've all probably encountered it at some point when we're walking around the city or walking around our neighbourhoods. Mm. It is important to remember it's a minority. But I actually also agree with the other point that you made. It's also to, important to acknowledge the very good intentions that people have when they're doing these behaviours. So they might feel very positive about it. They might get that kind of warm feeling Mm. of taking care of an animal. They might think that they're helping an animal that doesn't have enough access to food, whether it's a free-ranging domesticated animal or a wild animal like a wild boar, which should be naturally foraging, not eating any human-derived food. But actually, of some of the wild boars that we've sampled, up to 60, 70 or even 80% of their diet seems to be composed of these human-derived foods, which are actually really unhealthy for Mm. them. They can cause problems like obesity. And you mentioned the chicken bones, things like bone packaging in the things that people are putting out. Sometimes people throw whole containers of um, chicken rice and things like that out of a taxi in a feeding area. (laughs) Super unhealthy for the animals, can cause obstructions, um, digestive issues. Sometimes, unfortunately, they even die. So I think recognizing really positive, good intentions, we don't want to lose that, but actually counterproductive um, effects of these actions.
3: Now, now to better um, tackle this pro- uh, the problem of wild animals uh, causing a nuisance in urban areas, they, the government is uh, looking at expanding a ban on the feeding of wild animals to cover all of Hong Kong and uh, introduce uh, tougher penalties for offenders. Um, Dr. Mumby, earlier you said your, your survey shows that most people want the government to do more. Um, is this the right approach? Is this what they're looking for?
5: Um, I think when we surveyed people, there was a lot of confusion on what the maximum penalties were, whether feeding wildlife was illegal or not. And I think some clarity and consistency, rather than just having you know specific areas with bans, would be really helpful to people. Because it is a bit of a confusing message at the moment to have this inconsistency.
6: Right, so you can't feed them in the country parks, right? Uh, you can, Yeah, you can't feed them in the country parks, but you can feed them in the city, for example, right now.
5: Yeah, and I think that's a confusing message for yeah. some people because the government, on the one hand, is saying don't feed the wildlife, but the legislation doesn't necessarily match with that in all of the cases.
3: Right, yeah. Dr Wong, what do you think of uh, the government's plan?
4: I think it's a... Um You know, it's difficult to comment on whether increasing the fine um, will will make an actual substantive difference to the the habits, I guess, of the the people who are feeding the animals. Um, It's probably the right direction to go because it doesn't seem to be, uh, the current fine doesn't seem to be having a very significant effect on preventing the feeding. Um, I certainly, you know, agree that simplifying the areas uh, where you are not allowed to feed. Um, in other words, making it a, a complete ban all over Hong Kong makes sense uh, because as you alluded to, there is confusion about where you can feed and where you can't feed and, and the message seems to have been a little bit lost if, if if the message should be don't feed wild animals at all and yet it is legal to feed them in certain areas. So I would you know, wholeheartedly um, uh, support the banning of the feeding of wild animals all, all over Hong Kong. Hmm. And that, that would make it much more simple to understand, I believe.
3: Alright, I have uh, two emails here from our listeners. Uh, this one is uh, from Mark. He says, uh, it is a good idea to ban the feeding of wild animals across the whole of uh, the uh, SAR. Hopefully this will also outlaw the practice of leaving food for wild feral cats in the country parks. Surely these cats must be feeding on wild bird populations to the detriment of the biosphere generally. And I have another email here from Jeffrey. And uh, he wants to know, um, how will they differentiate between cat colonies and natural wild animals? Um, Dr. Wong?
4: Well, some of these um, cat colonies actually are managed. Um, I know the SPCA runs a, uh, a cat colony sort of uh, management program. So they have, they have feeders or managers uh, looking after these colonies. And, and these cats are caught, they're, they're sterilized, their um, ears are snipped to, for identification. So I believe those that, those that are under a, an actual controlled program at the moment won't be affected. And, you know, it seems to be that we're, we're dealing mainly with the issue of, of wild boar coming into the urban areas. We know what, it's not really so much this uh, legislation being increased, the fines being increased to tackle the, um, the feeding of, of, of cats within the urban area. So I do think there'll be that much confusion there.
3: Right, and, and Dr. Wong, I, I know when uh, you were working for the government before, you were involved in the setting up of the cattle teams to control the population of wild cattle and buffaloes. Um, how different was the situation back then compared to now?
4: Well, I think you know the, the rationale for setting up the cattle team was that we looked at it. Um, you know, government government tends to be uh, right in the middle of, of these issues in the sense that. Very much favor the existence um of the wild animal population and then there are those who wish to get rid of them and the government normally is stuck in the middle you know we took a, a view that these issues are not something that can please either side but they have to be managed to the level that uh makes it tolerable for 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 both parties um
6: What's you know, the I sort of this, uh, yeah, What's what's the level? What's the philosophy behind managing that? What is our relationship with wild animals in the city, or what? Because you know we, we can balance it either side, but at the, at the same time, these are sort of living beings in their own territory. So how do we how do we sort of make sure the balance doesn't go too far one way or the other? And, and where is there a philosophy such in, in the government?
4: Oh, so my my personal view is that the the issue is not something that can be eliminated. Um, it has to be managed to the extent that the animals do not cause such a nuisance or, or danger to, to people, to, um, but also allow them to coexist within their natural habitat. And what has happened is that we have sort of increased their natural habitat to increase to to, uh, to uh, include certain urban areas, and that is causing a nuisance. It's causing uh, potential danger to people, and that's something that has to be managed more uh, better and push them back into their natural habitat where they will have little contact with humans. Um, so I, I take very much a view that we have to allow them to coexist with us, but if they coexist within their natural habitat, there shouldn't be too much trouble.
3: But that's not really what the um, AFCD is doing right now with the wild boars, is it? I mean, they're, they're um, implementing this uh, capture and kill policy.
4: Well, I mean, having this having this. Uh, feed ban, increase to the whole of Hong Kong, and trying to uh, trying to reduce the amount of feeding from the public to to, to the pigs will at, should lead to them going back into the natural habitat because pigs won't come out unless there's food, and yes, it will take a bit of time. Um, so you know, the more they go back into the natural habitat, the less AFCD will have to conduct these operations. You know, uh, even when I was in government. You know, no vet wants to go out and, and anesthetize a pig or kill a pig, mm. but, you know, there will be occasions when pigs are dangerous and they get into areas where they have to be either anesthetized and translocated back into a country park, or sometimes if they get injured they'll have to be euthanized, and that's just a fact of life. Um, but, you know, the more we can do to keep them within their natural habitat, the less we'll, we'll encounter these problems.
3: Now, I know I just mentioned the uh, capture and kill policy. Um, in the past, it used to be a capture and contraception or relocation program. I have an email here from James, and uh, he wants to know... Um, Did the contraceptive program not work at all, the administration has not explained. There are many uninhabited islands where the boars could be relocated to instead of just killing them. I live on Lama Island and rarely see them, and they are not a problem. They are shy and live on the vegetation. The main problem here is the number of stray dogs that attack them. Why doesn't the relevant department take action on the dogs? Perhaps, like in parts of Italy, the boars could be turned into sausages. Seems a cruel waste. And uh, that's an email from James. Um, Dr. Wong, do you know why? I mean, I mean, do you know why the um, contraceptive program didn't work? Um,
4: <clears throat> I believe, I believe the vaccine, the the, the Conacon, um, vaccine they were using, works to a certain extent. Uh, but it hasn't really been shown to be effective long-term in many places in the world. Um, I'm not quite sure the exact reason why they stopped it. Um, but you know, uh, there there are other ways to try and reduce it. I I, I still believe that the main uh, problem with um, human and wildlife interaction with regards to wild pigs is is the feeding, and that's the easiest one to tackle because that is an a, a proactive approach that is done by humans to interact with wildlife if we can reduce that i think that will have a
6: much bigger effect than trying to sterilize pigs right can we talk about the uh, dr mumby you've done some fascinating research into elephants and sort of cognitive bias of elephants which I'd you know, love to talk about for hours frankly but uh, <laughs> we're talking about the pigs or, or the buffalo there was a story on, buff- on, uh, on Lantau where a, a large buffalo was relocated and then a new younger animal stood up and became like the king of the buffaloes there and then became violent when the old king returned to Muwo um, so it seems there's a lot of unintended consequences in sort of moving these animals around or messing with their habitats, what, what, what's your view on that?
5: Yeah I think um, as Dr. Wong said, I think this idea of coexistence is important, and to achieve that, we have to consider human behavior, what we're doing, but also have a really good awareness of animal behavior and the impacts of any interventions that we're making in our ecosystem. So, for example, these ideas about moving wild boars to uninhabited islands might seem really appealing. But A, we don't know what kind of impact they'll have there, how they'll interact with each other. And B, they are excellent swimmers, mm. so they can all just swim back. I
6: didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be very funny and amusing to see. yeah
5: yeah. A lot of money spent on, some, on something quite odd. So we have to be kind of aware of our scientific knowledge of these species, but also, you know, things like human behavior. So, for example, in the people that we surveyed, 27% of people who reported to us that they fed wild animals, said that they acknowledged the risk of um, being fined, but they didn't really mind. Mm. They, they were willing to take that
7: risk.
5: Yeah. So for people like that, I think understanding what motivates their behavior, why they're doing it instead of just kind of, we don't just want to say that's a bad person because they might have great intentions, they might be really caring about their community and animals and maybe we can just find them different ways to direct all those positive intentions without having these negative impacts on the ecosystem because like Dr. Wong said, if we do put out food, then it's increasing the resources for these animals, it's moving them, it's changing their behaviour in ways that might be very bad for them, it's risking their health, it's risking us having injuries. It's one of those things, you know, relatively in our work, can we say this thing has no positive effect, but feeding wild animals really doesn't. What we don't want to get rid of is people's positive intentions.
6: Yeah, because I sit with my daughters if we're having sandwiches, uh, you know, say in Exchange Square, and we'll often toss out a few crumbs and then the birds descend and and Mm. it's kind of fun so so we shouldn't be doing that is that what you're saying
5: it's better just not to do it at all and Mm. also what we haven't i suppose spoken about is that some people might be unintentional feeders they might not even realize Mm. um, if they don't maybe dispose of their food waste or packaging Um, in a really safe way you know make sure that it's not just left on top of a bin or something like that yeah I think we'll get into
6: that with uh, we've got a district councillor coming on later and we want to talk about the the bin design and the role of FEHD and and Mm -hmm. and things like that what what about this natural habitat then because I saw there were 19 injury cases this year Mm -hmm. 16 of them were on the in one place Mount Parker Road so could we say that is actually the pig's natural habitat maybe we give it back to them
5: um, i don 't know about those specific incidents, but I think I think unfortunately, there are sometimes cases where the animals get locked into a behavior pattern that isn 't healthy for them mm. and again, you know the best way to avoid doing this is having kind of a healthy relationship of boundaries with them from the start because then we don't get into these negative patterns where you know, bigger interventions have to take place, like transportation and things like that. So if we can enjoy looking at our wildlife, but do it from a distance, not do do feeding, kind of give them some space so that we're not crowding them or making them fearful, because often with an animal, if they react with aggression, it's because they're afraid. Mm. And I think that also as humans, Sometimes we don't recognize all of the signs because, say, for us, eye contact showing our teeth. You know, that can show we're happy and we're Mm. engaged, but obviously with an animal, those are signs of aggression, and we might inadvertently um, participate in a kind of heightening of aggression with an animal without realizing the best way to avoid that is to give them some space. This doesn't mean, you know, that we have to give up our country parks
6: our country walks just having that awareness yeah i've I've taught my my kids we're walking along the path if there's if there's monkeys blocking the path and i just say you know we don't look at them when we respect their space and and walk past gently um and i'm also curious about what wearing a mask does that make a difference on the monkey's psychology do we look very strange without without mouths and teeth
5: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think one thing, especially with primates, we can be quite visual. Other animals, it might not be as big Mm -hmm. of an issue. But I wouldn't take off your mask for the sake of the
6: monkeys. Just give them plenty of space.
3: Yeah, yeah. All right, I just want to go back to uh, Dr. Wong. Um, just uh, the, the previous email uh, we were reading out about the uh, contraceptive uh, program not working. Um, and this uh, listener, James, he also um, has uh, two other questions at the end of the email that uh, I don't think you actually uh, touched on. It's uh, why doesn't the relevant department take action on uh, the stray dogs uh, that are on Lama Island under this uh, change or this proposal? Proposal, do you think uh, they will also be targeted, uh, Dr. Wong? And uh, also, he wants to know why if um, boars could be turned into sausages.
4: Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, so this, the stray dogs one, I guess, is a is a whole other kind of worms. Um, certainly, the you know um, the number of stray dogs that has been caught. Um, by afcd has has gone down quite significantly due to the actual reduction in the number of stray dogs in hong kong And I think that's quite significant. You know, we have some there are some programs around hong kong the trap neuter release where Stray dogs are are caught. They're neutered and then they're released back into the Environment and and the reason for that is that if you just remove the dog they will be replaced by another dog Um, either you know from from a uh, a breeding female orphan dogs migrating from other areas to fulfill fill that niche. And so having sterilized dogs um, occupying a certain uh, habitat will at least lead to a sort of stable number of population that won't increase. Uh, the problem, of course, with that is that, uh, as your, your reader in his email has alluded to, is that those stray dogs will still be a nuisance to wild boars in, in that vicinity um you know it's it's very easy to say let's just remove all the stray dogs in practice it's extremely difficult um and very few countries have been successful in, in in any jurisdiction in dealing with this but certainly the number of stray dogs has reduced um i think you know unfortunately the the existence of stray dogs in the population is just something i think we'll have to put up with for for quite a number of years um uh, to come with regard to sausages, uh, you know, the, these, are, these are wild animals. Um, I don't really see any need to remove them from their habitat and turn them into food. Um, they certainly are farmed uh, extensively in Europe, the wild boar, and those are turned into food, but I don't see any real need to, to remove our wild animal population. If, if, we, if we look at their natural habitat and we don't um, add um, artificial food to their, to their normal diet, then these habitats have a natural carrying capacity and the numbers will be regulated simply by the amount of food that they can find within the area. So. You know, I don't think that's that's really an issue.
3: All right, Dr. Wong, we have to take a short break for the news. Uh, Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Howard Wong, the Director of the School of Veterinary Medicine at City University. And uh, doctor Mombi. we can continue our discussion afterwards when we'll be joined by Jeremy Young, a Central and Western District Councillor. And after 9.15, we'll look ahead to the new dinosaur exhibition at the Science Museum that will kick off this Friday. Now, if you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, remember you can give us a call. Our number is Two three three eight eight two six six. And now a quick look at the weather. It will be mainly cloudy with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. The top temperature will be around 30 degrees. Right now it's 28 degrees and the relative humidity, 88%. If you're just tuning in now, this morning we're talking about the government's plan to expand the ban on the feeding of wild animals to cover all of Hong Kong and introduce tougher penalties for offenders. Still with us on the program is Dr. Hannah Mumby from the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences. Also joining us now is Jeremy Young, a Central and Western District Councillor. Good morning, Mr. Young. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Mr. Yang, can you first update us on the uh, situation in your district? Are there now fewer wild boars roaming around?
7: Um, What I can only share is there are less complaints about wild boars foraging within the urbanized residential area. There are plenty of wild boars in the wild and they are now seemingly coming to our area, less and less, partly partly due to the fact that the government restarted the culling, um, targeting those who repeatedly forage at residential areas. It is unfortunate that we had to do that, but it was necessary because there was a very limited number of wild boars that repeatedly uh, caused nuisance or damage to a lot of public goods. But that. The has reduced, um, and at the same time, I'm sure there are plenty of wild boars still roaming around in the wild.
3: Do you still keep a community-based uh, wild pig sighting database? And if you do, what does it show?
7: Yes, yes we do. Um, residents can always upload photos and locations of where they have seen wild boars within the urbanised areas. We ignore those sightings within the country parts because that is just a very natural phenomenon. We don't count uh, how many wild in and wild because that is very natural. Um, it's only those that are behaving abnormally that we really focus our effort to um, terminate either those uh, residents who are feeding them or black spots where a lot of um, food leftovers are, are deliberately left near garbage or rubbish collection centers. So right. that seems to be improving.
3: Now the government has proposed uh, tougher penalties for people who feed wild animals. Uh, do you think it will be effective uh, in tackling the problem?
7: I think so. Um, I think it will be. I'm very encouraged that the new government, one of the first things that they announced they had to do is something that I've been calling for for years. So I'm very hopeful um, that this government actually listens
6: Do you, what what area are you responsible for actually Jeremy? yeah because you're one of the few left serving sort of hong kong island i suppose because if i look around yeah, that's right if i let's not get into that but uh if uh, if i look around bowen road for example um there, there's a lot of wild boar down there and it seems to be from the garbage and it, it always shocks me that it's one of the richest places in hong kong and, and residents just throw their garbage on the street I, i'm always shocked by that but i mean so what can we do about that it seems to be the the richer residents that are causing the problem
7: I hesitate to draw that correlation immediately but I would say um, one of the issues that the as you say the rich uh, do not have is the food shortage so it's the excess food that, that we produce which is the one of the source cause of wild animals foraging in our area now I'm also hopeful that I think maybe next year if the government successfully passed the bill for charging for refuse yeah uh, disposal i think that will also change our behavior we will hopefully produce less waste and part of that reduction of waste is food waste hence the source of the issue
6: we'll continue to improve as well. Well, you're very optimistic. I'm, I'm not so optimistic. The, uh, the wealthy okay. <laughs> residents of Borough Road will, will make any difference. But also, the, the FEHD has uh, tried these new litter containers, um, which have sort of pedals so that the pigs haven't yet learned how to operate those. And they're about to buy 700 more of those. But again, the same problem is they have those fancy new bins, and yet they're, they're just piled up with garbage on top. So the pigs don't really have a problem. Do you, do, well, do you think the bins are worth worth the money they're spending on them?
7: I think it is worth it for sure because the government is trying their best to improve the situation by introducing the new hardware, now is the software, is the people, it's us. So the government has done their part, let's do ours.
3: All right, Dr. Mumbi, what's your view I mean of uh, um, um the situation, I mean after listening to what Mr. Young has been saying?
5: Specifically on the bins, I'll I'll just mention that I I kind of agree with the point that um, from the surveys that we did, you know, there's a lot of strong views about the boards that some people may feel, you know, they're like their friends, some people may be very against them. But maybe something important for us as community members is to kind of harness our kind of passion for this topic and, and take that into action. And that includes being kind of responsible for our disposal of waste
6: yeah absolutely i mean fehd has really uh you know dropped the ball on the waist and let's hope that we can we can see more but also afcd i mean their their enforcement of the rules in the country park as they are is pretty poor you see people uh smoking on the reservoir fishing and, and throwing their cigarette butts into the reservoir all the time uh, it, it, there's no enforcement and so i'm wondering do you think things could even change if there was a new law
5: Is that to me? Yes, 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 to both of you, really. But yes, Dr. Mumby,
6: you can uh, start off, yeah. I
5: I think that for me, um, it is important to kind of acknowledge our agency and the fact that we can have a positive impact in these situations, right? So knowing that, you know, okay, if I do throw food waste out of my taxi window, that might cause boards to chase taxis and maybe even cause a traffic accident. So, you know... Sometimes we can feel like, especially with environmental issues, we can feel like, oh, I don't have enough power, I'm not important enough, so I'm not going to do anything. Mm. Actually, this example shows we do have a lot of agency. We can have a positive impact. And I really wanted to highlight, although I know it can be easy to seem like, you know, we're complaining or we're blaming people, there's a lot of positive Mm. feeling around our wildlife wild boars are part of our native wildlife. They're a really interesting, intelligent species and we can do something to, to make their lives better and to promote coexistence.
3: All right. uh, Dr. Mumby, I have an email here from a listener and he's uh, talking about uh, something we discussed uh, earlier on in the program. So maybe you you can uh, uh, respond to this. Uh, It's uh, from Martin. He says uh, the notion that people are feeding wild animals out of the kindness of their heart is a ridiculous one. They are doing so for their own amusement. This can be seen every weekend in and around Kowloon Reservoir, where families are feeding monkeys, even as large posters warn them not to. Cars also enter the reservoir roads for safari-type viewing of the primates, while food is dispensed through the window. And uh, that email is from Martin. Um, Professor, I mean, Dr. Mumbi, your view?
5: Um, Thank you for your feedback, Martin. I think that, you know, it's easy to judge other people. But people doing it for their own entertainment, it kind of is because they get a positive feeling from that. And we don't want to take away people's positive associations of looking at wildlife, going out in into our country areas, having that experience. Um, but I agree, we don't want them feeding the wildlife. But I think rather than necessarily having to react extremely negatively to those people. We can say, it's fantastic that you want to come out here. It's fantastic that you like seeing the animals, but don't, don't feed them. And we can kind of nudge that behavior.
6: Yeah, but the, the safari that Martin talked about there, that, that bothers me as well, because the cars actually don't really care about the monkeys or the people or the, or the wild boar. They're sort of driving often too fast in the country parks. It amazes me we're, we're allowing them in there. Are we seeing a lot of uh, accidents and, and things like that from that?
5: I don't know about that specific case, but unfortunately there are, there are accidents. But again, it's this idea of you, that, that we have some responsibility, that we can behave in ways that are safe for us and the wildlife. We just have to choose to do that.
3: All right, Mr. Young, what, what do you think about this? I mean, do you think uh, we, we need to do more in terms of educating people?
7: I think so. Uh, positive education uh, is definitely needed from uh, the young for for the younger generation. For the adults, oh, a lot of grannies are actually going out to the wild park and feeding them to be honest. Um, I'm less hopeful because that's a habitual, and they've decided they're adults. The only way to educate them is to give them the penalty. So the key is on enforcing the law that hopefully will be passed without enforcement. It's all paper exercise. It's now stepping up the penalty. Actually, I'll be asking the government how many penalty tickets have they issued Mm. after the law is passed. So I think both having the law itself increase the penalty in theory and then enforcement, the two together should help us protect the wild animals by not feeding them because the moment we start feeding them is the first step for domestication. And that is not good.
6: Mr. Young, you, you alluded earlier that you're a little short-staffed in the District Council. Um, there's the new, yesterday was announced, the Task Force on District Affairs, which will sort of focus on livability issues and hygiene, environmental hygiene. Do you think that task force could support you in the wild animal issue as well?
7: I think it will help. Uh, it's not ideal. I mean, ideally, we should have all 15 of us back in our seats. And yeah. now we only have three. So, during this vacuum period, yeah. I think anything that the government puts some resources to help, it can only help, but hopefully that is not a permanent feature. Will there, uh, be, a, the thing that will there be a
6: by-election, are, are you calling for a by-election there?
7: I have been calling yeah. for a by-election since day one, um, as soon as one seat was empty, I be mm. called for by-election. I'm thankful for myself because I came into the council through a by-election, yeah. so by-elections worked. However, we do have to look at how is it worth the time because we only have less than half a term left.
2: Yeah.
3: All right, uh, Mr. Young, we have to leave it here for now. Uh, Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Jeremy Young, a Central and Western District Councillor. Many thanks also to Dr. Hannah Mumby from the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences. It's now 15 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to move on to our next topic. And it's about a new dinosaur exhibition at the Science Museum that will kick off this tomorrow. Um, to tell us all about it, we have on the line of Paulina Chan, the director of the Hong Kong Science Museum. Good morning, Ms. Chan.
8: Hi, good morning, everyone. Good Thanks morning.
3: for joining us on the program. Now, I'm uh, quite interested about this exhibition um, because um, I don't know about you, James, but uh, I love fossils and dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, so, Ms. Chan, can you tell us what we'll be uh, able to see at the exhibition?
8: Oh, everybody loves dinosaurs. Um, so I think uh, everybody is excited to want to see a um, mega dinosaur exhibition in Hong Kong. So um, the Hong Kong Jockey Cup Series, the Big 8 Dinosaur Revelation Exhibition, um, features eight of the most iconic creatures from the age of the dinosaurs together for the first time. It includes some very famous, for example, Tyrannosaurus, Triceratops, Spinosaurus, Aerosaurus, uh, Dipodocus, and etc., so these specimens are extremely rare and have a high level of original bone competitiveness. With novel scientific insight and immersive experience and dynamic skeletal marks, the ex- will present the latest scientific discovery in paleontology and showcase how penitologists employ new technology to study fossils and figure out the life of these historic creatures.
6: Okay, so I, I went to see the uh, Diplodocus in Dorset, actually, in, uh, in the UK and it's fabulous, it's huge, but I found it slightly less fabulous when I learned it was actually a plaster cast of the actual bones and it wasn't the real bones. So how many real bones or sorry, real fossil bones Um, are we going to see at this new show?
8: Oh, so i think uh, in the bone current of course um the one showcase here is, uh we have uh, all together we have eight pieces of dinosaurs so two of them are one-to-one we reconstructed skeletal models or a skeletal mounts. that is very big causes. why this is a skeletal mount because um these two species uh has a gosthos and also the other one is a spinosaurus this Two species are very unique, and the number of the existing dinosaurs fossils in the world is very limited. Recently, we have a new discovery. We ex- uh, ex- ex- excavated some um, dinosaurs fossils in Africa uh, for the Spinosaurus. So, the scientists um, uh, have uh, got a new discovery on this specimen. They are very excited. So, they jointly uh, public some journals and scientific research on this special dinosaurs. It totally rejuvenates all our understanding of these dinosaurs in the world. Apart from this, um, because Except for the Tyrannosaurus, the other seven fossil skeletons on display in Hong Kong for the first time. Because the size is so big, you know, the dinosaur is so big, we showcase one to one weasel. The museum has specially designated a total area of around 2,000 square meters at the permanent exhibition area. Um, Some of the highlight exhibits include the most complete Aerosaurus skeleton ever found, which is over 90% completeness when we when the scientists discovered um, at that moment of course some of the bones are very variable so uh, they are not allowed to come to hong kong instead of it we have a very very um high delegated cost model we showcase here and uh, the double doctors we have the real dinosaur scout uh, showcases uh, so you've got uh, the
6: actual you've got the actual uh, fossils on display yes yes
8: yeah. on the on the showcases because um, these dinosaurs are very unique, especially the skulls. Yeah. Uh, it is very precocious, so we showcase uh, inside this case. Um, for the other exhibits, um, for example, the t- triceratops, it is standing at high, height over three meters. Mm. It is the first time uh, of this species are uh, uh, mounted together to make a uh, skeletal models to showcase here.
3: And where do these fossils come from?
8: Um, this fossil come from mainly in Germany. Um, Switzerland Italy Netherlands Romania and Morocco Morocco and most of them are come from museum and academic organization
3: so it must have been hard to transport them all the way over here
8: yes that's true because you know that all these uh, um, fossils is um, are the first time to mount interskeletal uh, mounting at the museum so we need to um, discuss with this institution to make sure that um, they are put. Uh, I mean, they can compete all the world within the tight schedule, and especially under this pandemic situation, there are lots of uh, challenges for us. For example, um, the you know um, the international air flight services has also been disrupted significantly, and happening over <coughs> uh, in early this year. So we need to figure out and try hard the fighting schedule to move these dinosaur bones to Hong Kong and also complete all this um, installation work within a very tight schedule.
3: That must have been a lot of work. How much did the installation actually, uh, how long did it actually take?
8: Uh, You mean the The
3: installation?
8: installation? We only allowed two to three weeks for the whole installation work.
6: Right you've got to build up those big skeletons uh,
8: yes, that's we have a quick. team yeah, yeah, we have a team of uh professional team from Germany to help us to do the installation work right
5: right
3: now you, you've talked about uh, many different uh, dinosaur fossils that will be on display. What I really really want to know is uh, whether we will be able to touch any of the pieces pushed on display
8: yes yes that's, uh, we because we are a museum, we are very strong on the education role, so we especially a range that is uh, one of the neck of a sauropod uh, allow the visitor to touch gently to feel the, what is fossils and what is the difference between bones and fossils. Mm.
3: Are you worried that it might be a damage in the process? I mean, many of the visitors, they might be uh, young children. They, they don't really know their own strengths.
8: Oh, um, I, I think the young children must be very excited. But of course, um, the science museum has a, a, a very um, strong experience um, to uh, manage the interactive of these children. So uh, it, this is not the first time we show the real dinosaur bone to our now visitors visitors to touch, because this... Uh, pieces of dinosaur, they have a specially treated, preserved, and it is not fragile. So, we also have uh, some security measures, for example, we will now our ambassador to watch over um, the, uh, the, manage the situation, and, and engage with the visitor, how to uh, touch the bones, and also we have some interpretation on these pieces.
3: And are there any special ticketing arrangements for this exhibition?
8: Oh, yes, yes. Because this is uh, one of the celebra- celebratory activities of the 25th anniversary of the establishment of uh, the SKAR. So that um, we uh, expect a lot of visitors will come to our museum. Well, it's
6: sold out already because I tried to get no, tickets no, yesterday. No. Yes, it, <laughs> that is. it is. I tried to get tickets yesterday and it's uh, it's all sold out
8: okay just for for seven days but office. you can only
6: book seven days ahead so it's actually yeah uh, yes yeah. because
8: the exhibition will be opened um fee admission from um starting from tomorrow until mid of November, 16 of November. Mm. um all visitors are required to make advanced booking through and e-booking system Other reservation also allows access to all permanent exhibition of the museum. No worry about that because it's just only the beginning. Um, The system will launch in the um, I mean refresh every night. So uh, with visitor can make a 7 days reservation in advance. It is fully booked because it just shows the booking of seven days only. So that uh, maybe tonight a visitor may be booked on the next week. Uh, and also that there are different sessions with limited quota for visitors to select successful applicant will receive a confirmation email with a QR code so that uh, when they go to the museum, they just show us the QR code so that they can enjoy the exhibition. Okay.
6: What my my kids were most excited about was the uh, the night at, night with dinosaurs sleepover, which I read about. What's that all about? When's that happening?
8: Oh, actually, um, because you can imagine if we can sleep together with the dinosaur, and um, it's so excited. So we specially arrange a sleepover over program for the young children uh, primary uh, primary students so uh, we will invite them to come uh, after the close of the museum we will specially arrange that some um, treasure games and allow them to run to run along um, the exhibition area and to discover some mystery of this dinosaur species and then after that we of course we have some uh, special demonstration uh we have the some um sky night show for this um young children because you can imagine the light sky what did the, the dinosaurs saw six thousand uh 6, 000, 6 million six million years, million years ago, ago. A, yes. a great
6: big meteor i think they saw coming did they Pardon? they saw a great big meteor coming through the night sky that was uh, <laughs>
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine if you can see the sky of dinosaur. What, what is so amazing that?
6: Right. So, so the sleepover will that be a one-off, or is that something anyone can book?
8: Uh, it is one-off. Yeah. Ah. But we will, of course, we expect that a lot of uh, children would like to join the uh, program. So we will invite all the application uh, starting from tomorrow. But we will draw the lot. Oh. Ah. Very fair.
6: Yeah. Okay. It sounds very good. And that's free as well, is it?
8: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes.
3: Right. And uh, talking about a uh, quota system, you're talking. Uh, there's a um, limited number of people that can visit uh, this exhibition every day. Is it because of uh, the uh, and, uh, COVID situation right now?
8: Yes, that's true. Because nowadays uh, we have a number of cases uh, every day, more than two thousand, and. We need to caution about the social distancing between visitors and also um, set up the COVID measures for this exhibition. So we need to um, stack out the visitors to allow them to have a more pleasurable visiting experience. That is very important. But of course, we will rebuild the quota every day. In case we can accommodate more visitors, we will increase the quota after uh, maybe one week's time so that we know that the actual situation
6: okay one thing that surprised me was that this was sponsored by the jockey club is it appropriate for a kids exhibit to be sponsored by gambling
8: um, I don't see there is a, a much contradiction on this way because uh, Hong Kong Jockey Club uh, charity trust is a charitable organization for many years we um, the trust uh, has like a, a lot of a collaboration with a lot of a initiative to support watch a lot of uh, sports, music, and other programs for the young children. For example, the football games every year. We have a football camp cam, um, every year to let the children to have a exciting experience, the soccer game and football. So in fact, uh, we will just, uh, because nowadays we want to have a collaboration uh, with different kinds of uh, charitable organizations to uh, draw more resources to the community. So I don't see um, there is any uh, contradiction on this area.
3: And uh, I just want to ask, um, you're talking about uh, how eight of the most iconic creatures from the golden age of dinosaurs will be uh, exhibited uh, for the first time. Um, which one do you think it will be a, a must see? Which one is the star of the show?
8: Um, from my point of view, because yes. I visit a lot of exhibitions yes. in different parts of the world, I would like to choose this as one-to-one reconstruct uh, skeleton models of Spinosaurus, because it is the first time we have a replica of this kind of dinosaurs uh, in Asia. Uh, in the world even though so and it has used the latest scanning technology to scan some part of the bones and we also use the 3D printing technology to print all the um, replica pieces and also the cast model. This is very important because nowadays we would like to employ new technologies to study fossil especially a lot of technology and pen- a lot of uh, paleontologists they use this technology to understand more about the prehistoric creatures. This is one of the points we want to focus is that, um, you know, um, dinosaurs dominated the world for millions of years. Um, our Earth has experienced five mass extinctions. Uh, scientists foresee that uh, we may have the chance to face the sixth mass extinction so we hope this exhibition will inspire visitors to think about uh, the human beings in the grand story of evolution and the challenges threatening our future on this planet for example the global warming extreme weather events and loss of the biodiversity we have the choice at this moment we would like to all the people take appropriate action to save our earth Uh, we would like all of us don't choose the extinction
3: all right, this uh, all sounds very interesting, Miss Chan, but I'm afraid we're out of time. Thank you once again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Paulina Chan, the director of the Science Museum. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and also to my co-host James Ockenden and my producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather before we go. It'll be mainly cloudy with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. The top temperature will be around 30 degrees. Winds, moderate southerlies. And forecasters say it will be hot with ice Showers in the next couple of days. Right now it's 28 degrees, the relative humidity 88%. It's the 25th anniversary of Hong Kong's return to the motherland, and the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is celebrating its 25th year. This special occasion is for every Hong Kong citizen. A wide range of events are being held to celebrate the anniversary with the public. Join
2: in the celebrations and share the joy. Together, we shall move forward to a brighter future.